Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey everyone, welcome to the Theater Podcast. Intimate, personal conversations with the industry's biggest names. Today is no exception as we have guest Frankie Grande. And buckle in, listeners. This dude just does everything. This conversation ranges from producing to acting to singing to philanthropy to, I mean, this guy has just done everything and so amazing. We had such a great talk. I can totally relate to how his mind works. We seem to be cut from the same cloth in terms of just having to to get our hands into all of the aspects of performing and theater and entertainment. And it's just incredible. He triple majored in college and in a parallel universe, Frankie went to med school and became a doctor. So I'll just leave you with that. Before we get going, find me on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, all the places. Drop me a, a note, leave me a DM, leave me a DM, slip into my DMs. I don't know. Let me know what's going on. Let me know you're listening. I'd love to hear from you. And now everybody, please enjoy this episode with Frankie Grande. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Buckle up, listeners. I am excited to introduce today's guest. And honestly, I'm at a loss of where exactly to start reading this bio since he pretty much seems to have done it all. He's a Broadway actor, dancer, singer, model, producer, television host, and YouTube personality. He has his own fragrance line, is a philanthropist, is the host of Nickelodeon's SpongeBob Binge Pants podcast. He was on Big Brother in the US in season 16 and again in the UK and Celebrity Big Brother in season 18. He made his his Broadway debut starring on Broadway in Mamma Mia and later as Franz in Rock of Ages. He can be found in Nickelodeon's Henry Danger and Danger Force, Netflix's Haters Back Off, and upcoming this fall in Summoning Sylvia, a horror comedy film. He's produced several Broadway shows, including Hamlet and the recent Tony-winning production of Dana H., and can now be seen off-Broadway at the Asylum Theater in the smash hit Titanic, running through September 25th. Frankie J. Grande, welcome to the theater podcast. I understand why I'm exhausted now. Like, I'm exhausted. <laughs> like, oh my God, are you exhausted just reading that? Like, I lived it. I'm exhausted. I, wow. <laughs> well, I don't even, I, literally, my first note is icebreaker. Where do we start? Um, yeah. So, Titanic, I, I think that's a great place to start because it's what sure. you're doing right now. And yeah. uh, so, our Marla, who co wrote the show, 
one of my oldest friends, um, I sent her a text message this morning and, uh, and said, what, what should I ask Frankie about? And she goes, ask him why he's always late for rehearsals. <laughs> That's perfect. That's a great place to start. I am a chronic 15 minute late person. Like it's just, <laughs> it's the way that I am. It doesn't matter what it is or where it is or how it is, but I will always be 15 minutes late. And that is just something that you must accept if you're going to be in my life, period, <laughs> end of story. It, it is just the way it is. Everyone knows now, which is great. I said it on the very first day of rehearsal. I told the stage manager, I was like, I will always be 15 minutes late. I can't be 15 minutes late to half hour because no, that's no. actually in violation of equity. So yes. I'm never late to half hour, but I am 15 minutes late to sound check at 6.15, which means I arrive at half hour. So <laughs> <laughs> I will be 15 minutes late. So everyone knows, everyone's on the same page. It's great. Everyone, everyone gets it. But literally, the first rehearsal, I told the stage manager, I was like, I will always be 15 minutes late. Thank you. For understanding. Mar Marla Mandel and Constantine Morales, who are Celine Dion and uh, Jack, respectively, in the show, um, they they co-wrote this masterpiece, which, uh, I, I mean, I, I remember when Marla was telling me about it years ago when she just started writing it. And and now it's off-Broadway, full like full Broadway money and producers and everything behind it, running in a, in a real theater here in New York City. And so what I guess for those who don't know or haven't seen it yet, how would you best describe it? I would describe it as uh, hilarious. <laughs> it is a musical parody of the film Titanic with Celine Dion's music. So it is a jukebox musical of all of Celine's hits, but set to the Titanic. And we are just buffoons. It is just ridiculous at uh, like ridiculous musical comedy at its finest. Um, my theater professor from Muhlenberg, where I went to college, came and was like, this is just so delightful because no people are trying to do this, but no one's doing it as well as you guys. And it's so, so, so ridiculous that it works. And that's the kind of night in the theater that you'll have if you come see our show. It makes fun of itself, and I mean, you play so a, much. You play a handful of characters, one of which being yes. Victor Gar actual Victor Garber, which I think yeah. is, <laughs> is so which funny. is actually not Victor Garber at all. Right. Um, right. But it's it's just it is so funny. But yes, it, it's I play Victor Garber as an amalgamation of uh, Captain Smith, Mister Ismay, Mister Andrews, all mashed into one. And rather than calling him all the rich white guys, we decided Victor Garber <laughs> is a much better name for that. So, <laughs> well, how did you get a, how did you get attached to the production in the first place? I was doing a Cruel Intentions with uh, Constantine, mm -hmm. and uh, he literally just looked at me and during one of the shows and was like, "Huh?" I was like, "What?" He was like, so I wrote this show. It's a Celine Dion jukebox musical. Do you want to play the captain and sing I Drove All Night while we crashed the ship into an iceberg? And I was like, yes. That was it. <laughs> it was that simple. I think I took like maybe three minutes to process what he had said to me. And then I was like, how do you say no to this? Like, you can't say no to this. And it's, it's Celine Dion's music. I'm such a Celine Dion fan. I love the movie Titanic. And... Yes, is the only answer to that question. What I one of the things I really love about it is that through all of this, it, I mean, it's making fun of Celine. It's making fun of Titanic. It's a parody. It's a spoof. It, it is the. It makes fun of itself. But Celine and her team, her legal team, very specifically, have okayed this entire production, which yeah. 
is incredible. Celine is okay with all of this, which is great. Have you ever, did you met her? Did you meet her? Cause you said, I know you're like her number one fan. Yes. I met Celine twice and both times were absolutely magical. She is uh, an amazing creature. And I, you know, I model my life after her like unabashed quirky, <laughs> quirkiness and her like unapologetic love for herself and life. Like she is a cuckoo kachoo and mm-hmm. it is so delightful to be in her presence. Like she's not one of those superstars where you have to worry about what you say or what, you know, is going to come out of your mouth. Like everything is okay. And, and 95% probably doesn't even register to her because she's thinking about something else because she's off in her own little world. So it's, she's a great person to interact with. I've had very pleasant interactions with her. Oh, that's so much fun. Well <laughs> then, okay. So let's back up then. So young Frankie, you were, if I was reading this right, you were born in New York or New Jersey and then moved to Florida. What's the story with, with little Frankie? Born in New York, New York, uh, lived in Manhattan till I was two, and then moved to Anglewood, New Jersey when I was two till I was 10, and then lived there until I moved to Boca Raton, Florida when I was 10 years old, and then moved back to the upper, what is this called? The Northeast. That's what it's called, not the Upper West. That's something else. Uh, (laughs) To the Northeast. More generalized. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I'm such a New Yorker. I I speak in, uh, in boroughs. Um, uh, no, so I, um, I basically, uh, moved back to the Northeast to go to college at Muhlenberg and then moved from Muhlenberg back to Manhattan where I have lived slash maintained a residence ever since. So So, since 2005, I have been a New Yorker. And, and then obviously uh, something brought you back to do musical theater and, uh, and performing and whatnot, but like what age uh, as a kid, or was it in Florida? Was it before Florida where you were like, you know what? I want to try this singing and dancing and, and performing stuff. Where did that all come in? Do you have a touchstone in your life where you're like, you saw something and you're like, that's it. That's my life. Well, it must have been Bette Midler because my first audition that I auditioned for anything was fifth grade and it was Conrad Birdie and Bye 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 Birdie. And I decided to sing Wind Beneath My Wings uh, for this uh, audition. And I I was like, you are the wind beneath my wings. And the director was like, thank you so much. And I went, fly. And they were like, thank you so much. And I went, fly. And I just, you know, did the rest of the song. And I got the role. And so that was it. I was addicted from that point forward. I mean, musical theater is is an addiction. And I was absolutely in. I was in. Conrad Birdie and Bye Bye Birdie. It's so funny. Um, and I love Bette Midler, I guess. Because I just do. How do you not? Yeah, well, of course, once you get bitten by the bug, especially the the bet bug. The, the bet bug. The bet bug? The New York yeah. bet bug? New York, yes. Too many, too many bet bugs bet in New York. Midler bug. The bet Midler bug. The bet Midler bug. Yeah, you can't, you can't escape that. And then, I, I guess... Uh, so at fifth grade, I'm trying to think of what I was doing in fifth grade. I was trying to figure out uh, how, to, how to kiss girls. Uh, okay. And Same. <laughs> and doing sports and doing chorus. And it was my, it was the pressure of, uh, actually in fifth grade where I was in, where I was in Florida too, actually. I was in Florida at that time. Um, it, uh, it, it was cool. Whereabouts? In Clearwater, Largo, Clearwater. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, that's close. So, yeah. So it was, 
it was cool at that point. Actually, well, not cool, but it was acceptable to be for a male to be in chorus and sing. So I liked mm-hmm. it. I was it was encouraged. It was totally fine. And then later in seventh grade, when I moved to North Carolina, it was not so cool to be in performing. And I pulled back and went heavy into sports. So where you were in fifth grade was was it? Were you just like? screw it. I am. I, I'm doing this for me. I'm doing it because I, I want to be Bette Midler or be with Bette Midler. Or were you like, I guess, was the community aspect the attractive part? Or was it the individual performing aspect? Like, I guess I'm always curious to know what attracts people to being on stage. So I'm an achievement holic and I learned this about myself. So everything, anywhere where I could excel became the thing that I loved to do. So I was cast as the lead. Therefore, I loved it. I loved being the center of attention. Then I was in Dance Explosion, and I was the only boy. So every single piece and every single number was choreographed around me being the sole boy in the program. So, you know, there was just this this adrenaline rush, this high of me getting to, you know, be uh, kind of the star when I was so young. Um, and I did love the community aspect of it, absolutely. But I was more interested in the performance aspect of it. I, I was addicted to the stage. I was addicted to the lights and the clapping and the crowds and the instant gratification that comes along with being, you know, the star of a show. And that kind of, um, when I was young, you know, I was also like, I was top of my class. I did, um, I was excelling in sciences. I ended up triple majoring in college and biology, theater, and dance. So, like, I just loved wait, wait, wait. Like, academia. Wait, so triple major in theater, dance, and what? Biology. In biology. Yeah. Okay. I was ready to go to med school. I was going what? to med school if I didn't go to Broadway. Those are my two. Really? Off. Those are my double trajectory. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow, wow. Wow. Okay. 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 So then. You're you're going to college, obviously, with some sort of uh, fallback in mind, I guess, but or or safety net, not a fallback, but correct. I completely. That's a great way to describe it because it was it was a, a dual passion. I was equally passionate about both things and would have been equally happy landing in either field. Um, so, but but um, I understood that theater was the riskier path. So I I put that one first. I said, let's right. try theater. And then use biology as a, as a quote unquote fallback, but it was you know very much a uh, equal passion in, in my life. I mean, I, I would never have been able to do all three majors in four years if I wasn't obsessed with it and loved it as much as I did. That's insane! And so you have to be good at it, chemistry and biology, yeah. And, yeah, all of this stuff. Gosh, I mean, that's loved. that's two sides. I completely one thousand percent can relate to this because I got a computer science degree and then went into so the- theater. Yes. Uh, so it's a left brain, left brain, right brain conflict all the damn time. And now, I, you know, I was going to ask like, why the, why the producing and why the this and why all of this other stuff. But now I totally get it because you're the two halves of your brain are constantly in conflict. And yes, they're constantly working simultaneously like everything the world to me is i I, my doctor described it to me once my brain doctor described it as like i have a superpower which is that i have complete add except when i don't want to and then i am laser focused but otherwise (laughs) i have i'm just this shiny here shiny there i'm thinking about this you're talking about one thing but i'm i'm over here writing something else in my head 
And then, but when I need to be laser focused, I am laser focused, like on a test or a game. Like, that's why I want everything on Big Brother. Like, I was like, I can concentrate on one task, especially a game or a competition, like, uh, like a hawk. Um, but if you're talking to me in life, I am so scatterbrained. It is crazy. We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. <laughs> okay. Okay. I was so excited. I was so excited to talk about this with you because I want to talk about, I want to go back to what you said your brain doctor was telling you about this because I, I want to, I'm fascinated about that. But uh, I, I, again, ex- I feel like exactly the same, cut from the same cloth. And part of what makes me that way, the way that you are, is OCPD. Have you ever heard of that? OCPD. Yes. So it's not OCD. No, it's, it's a personality disorder. Uh, oh. obsessive compulsive personality disorder. And I was diagnosed oh, wow. with that a couple years ago. Um, and we're the same age. So it took me this long to, to figure this out, but, um, yeah. it, it essentially, it is, uh, you become hyper-focused on tiny details and can't see the forest through the trees to be hyperbolic mm. about it. Right. So yep. I would sometimes get stress and anxiety because I would, there'd be the little things that, uh, in, in you know all these spa- all these plates spinning and all these things that you're thinking about that you want to do that you have to do and you can't let them go and so you end up kind of doing half of them sort of halfway because you just don't there's not enough time in the day to do them all but then uh, once got the diagnosis it immediately helped me focus and and realize like oh this is what's going on and this is why I feel this yeah. way it helped it helped me like classify and compartmentalize does that make sense. A thousand, thousand, thousand percent diagnosis. And well, the fact that you reached out for help and and now that you actually have a diagnosis, like for is, I think, way over half the battle. Like for me, like, you know, I'm an alcoholic, I'm an addict. So once I got that diagnosis, once, because I didn't understand what was happening in my life when I was drinking and using and couldn't get control of myself and didn't want to live anymore. Like, I did not understand what the fuck was going on with me. That mm-hmm. wasn't Frankie at all. And then once I finally understood, uh, you're an alcoholic. I was like, oh, like what? That makes so much sense. And this wave of relief washed over me because I had a diagnosis. And also what comes along with the diagnosis is a treatment plan. Mm. And then once I got my treatment plan, I have been sober for five years. I'm five years sober now because once I was given, you know, that information, obviously my biology mind, my doctor mind was obsessed with it. I read everything about the science of the brain as it pertains to alcoholism and addiction, understood my disease inside out. And now I feel like I have so much more control over it. Wow. Well, I did not know that actually when I was researching you for this episode, none of that came up. So thank you. Thank you for sharing. I think that's really important. Oh yeah. I, I talk about Im- it all the time. It it's is Im- important to talk about. It's yeah. important to talk about. And that's why, you know, again, I want to talk about the mental health behind all this. I love this because, uh, you know, when I'm, <laughs> when I'm pitching this podcast to people, sometimes I say, oh, it's the, it's the, the discussions about, about maintaining success because mm. it's not how you became successful. It's how you maintain the success. Because it's hard. It's freaking hard, right? You yeah. get like to do 
eight shows a week, full stop. That's hard enough. But then, okay, yeah. Frankie, you're adding on your uh, your TV appearances and your podcasting yeah. and your producing and the philanthropic work and the YouTube hosting, the, the filming, the writing. And being and, married. And being married. Congratulations. That's a recent Thank thing you. this year. Yeah. Yes, a month, uh, two months anniversary was yesterday. Yeah, so, yeah, yes. it's two month month anniversary was yesterday. <laughs> two month anniversary. <laughs> yes, two month anniversary. <laughs> yeah, it is a lot, and and you know, it's nice to hear you say honestly because there are times when I, I do feel like I'm failing in one of those aspects in my mm-hmm. life, and I do need to just take a breath and remember, like you, it's like for the past two days, I've, I've been like in a strange exhaustion, exhausted place. I feel great today, but like the past two days, I'm like, what is wrong with me? And I'm like, whoa, 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 nothing is wrong with you. You have just opened a show, which you haven't done in years, by the way, like eight shows a week is no joke. And you are doing spinning all these other plates and doing press and trying to be a good husband and father to my puppy and, you know, and a good family member and a good son and a brother. And there's all these things that are happening simultaneously. And it is, you have to give yourself permission when you are as busy as I am to, to be exhausted, to potentially um, fail in certain areas, you know, of your life when there are so many that you're succeeding in. It's okay if every once in a while, one of them doesn't get the attention it deserves. And you have to be okay with that. Uh, one, 1,000%. I'm, uh, one of the hardest things as, as a type A person who likes to control and who likes to not feel like a failure. Because I, yeah. again, when you said that, I was like, ding, ding, that is it. That's why I can't stop. And yep. uh, because he's realizing, and part of all of this through therapy, that it's not failing to give up some responsibility. And that was, that was some of the hardest thing for me to let go of was for me to be like, you know what? I need help or it's not, I can offload this over here and build this team. And then wait a second, if they're working autonomously, then I can go do more. You yep. know? And, that, and now, now that I've listened, <laughs> now that we've had this entire conversation, you can tell Marla Mandel that this is why I'm 15 minutes late every day. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because I have given myself permission to be 15 minutes late every day because I've got a lot of shit going on. Oh, That's man. what it is. Do you feel like, do you feel like it's, it's letting, any, letting yourself down or letting others down more? Or do you just not care anymore? It's just like, this is who I am. I've accepted it. I think it is, um, I have given myself permission to do, to look at my day on the day. Like as an alcoholic, I, we have to do one day at a time. So I can, I don't, I no longer stress about tomorrow. So I, I wake up in the morning at a predetermined time that I set the night before. So if there is an emergency or something that you needed me to get up for earlier, I'm sorry, you were dead out of luck because I will not, <laughs> I will not wake up for anyone. So I set that time, I wake up, I have my coffee, I look at my day, and I give myself permission to do everything on my list for today in the order in which it occurs and get to where I need to be when God has decided it is time for me to be there. Like, it is very Gandalf, it is very Lord of the Rings, it is very a wizard is never late, Mr. Baggins, he shows up precisely when he means to. And that's how I just feel. Oh, my husband just walked in, how's your haircut? (laughs) <laughs> yay you cutie pants i'm doing a amazing podcast right now well i really do think this is an amazing podcast but i'm having a wonderful conversation thank you um so yeah that's what it is i'm very gandalf in that and i have to be otherwise i will get i will fry myself 
Yeah, yeah. It, it's being okay sitting sitting in your sad times and enjoying, allowing yourself to enjoy the happy times. And uh, I quote Andre De Shields all the time on this podcast. His his speech that he gave when he won his Tony was, uh, "The top of one mountain is the bottom of the next." And oh. I, and I love 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 that because I've internalized that to mean. Um, Obviously, you're never going to stop climbing. There's always more to learn. There's always more to do. There, but you got to stop sometimes and realize you just climbed a fucking mountain. So look yeah. around and enjoy yourself for a hot minute. You know what I mean? Yeah. I give that advice to people all the time, just like to try to stay present when all this cool stuff is happening. Mm. And I think, you know, in every show, I feel that way. Like sometimes, you know, you're exhausted. You know, we, we do five show weekends, which I think is cruel and inhumane punishment. Like five show, <laughs> like doing Friday, Saturday, Saturday, Sunday, Sunday, I think should be outlawed by equity, but we do it. And on that, on that Sunday, man, you're just like eyes crossed and you're like, what am I doing with my life? And you're like, you know what? No, get present, get grounded. And remember that these people, it's the first time seeing your show and listen to their laughter and look at their masked faces and assume that they're smiling and just push through and uh, ha- and stay present and enjoy the moment. And when you do that, everything is manageable. Everything is manageable, even a five show weekend. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's got to be it's got to be self sustaining. And you take the energy that you're giving and pull it back in to give yourself more energy. It, it, there's no other way because if you're obviously just giving and giving, you're gonna run out. And you gotta replenish. Yeah. You've gotta. Replenish. You have to. Yes. Do you remember your your? debut performance in Mamma Mia, the first time you performed in Broadway, on Broadway? Yes, I do. And I do because uh, Janet Rothermel, who was our resident choreographer, um, told me the exact advice that I just said on your podcast, which was, she said, don't stay present and remember this moment because it's never going to happen again. Like, don't freak out about where you need to be on stage. Don't freak out about the choreography. Everything is in your head. Just stay present and enjoy it. And I remember very clearly walking out onto that stage for the first time and those lights hitting me in the face because you don't have lights in a put-in. You know, we had just work lights up. So it was my first time walking out on the Winter Garden stage and having those lights in my face. And it was the most magical experience. Like I have chills thinking about it again all these years later. And I did over a thousand shows in Mamma Mia. So it was, uh, but I still remember that first one. Still remember it. I, I tell that to people. I do red carpet coverage and stuff too. And and uh, something that I've done, started doing, I don't know why, off mic in between the actual interviews is uh, the people, especially kids who are who have just made their Broadway debut or are about to make their Broadway debut. I say like, you know, put the mic away and I say like, listen, look down the line, look at all these people, look at these celebrities, yeah. look at these cameras, look at everything and take a moment for yourself right now and be present. And, and they, it's like, all of them are just like, oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, because they're so like they just did the show and the energy's up, and now they got to rush and and change and walk the carpet, talk to this person, and then like you know what this this is never going to happen again. Just stop for one minute with me, do not talk, and look down the line and enjoy yourself. And that, I think it means so much. It means so it means much. so much to them, and it means so much for them to hear that coming from you. Because, you know, I've worked both sides of the carpet and I, I'm, I'm very much similar to you, you know, where I give everyone their individual attention. But I've definitely been interviewed by people where you are just a face and a name on a card and, you know, they're, and they're like, hurry up because uh, 
you know, Patty Lapone's about to walk and you need to get this kid off the stand. And that kind of, uh, the, what you do, your attention that you give to those people will linger with them. So I'm just, I'm, and I feel that energy from you just even being on this podcast. So you're doing, that's really beautiful that you do that. I'm glad you do that. Oh, thank you. That means a lot, actually. <laughs> mm, yeah, um, it's like I, I've been on. I had the IFB in my ear when they were like, "Okay, hurry it up, hurry it up." Uh, the next, the, a big star is coming, and I'm like, "No, this is this person's big moment. Like, we're gonna finish this interview, and then if the next star has to wait, or if we miss them, it's okay. Like, calm down, everyone. Yeah. It's gonna be fine. You know." Yeah. It's like, no, I'm literally talking to this person who's so excited to be here. Like, you want me to have four and a half seconds with somebody who has done 3,000 interviews and wishes they were somewhere else. No, calm down. Yes, exactly that. Because whatever whatever I'm going to say, most likely, or whatever they're going to tell me, they most likely said to everybody else it, it, on yes. talk shows or whatever they're doing. Because the best conversation, conversations are coming from the people who literally are present and listening and not assuming you're going to ask them the same questions over and over again. And I, I love that. I love that you said that because, yes, I love talking to people. I have the best conversations with people who are not... Uh, used to doing the press, the press tour. People write like uh, as as they're on the upswing of like a the beginning of a career blowing up. For example, like they love it and they're still so authentic and genuine and present. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful. And, and they haven't rehearsed their red carpet speech yet. They don't yeah. know what they're going to say. No, nope. you know, I've told that Ben Miller Midler story about forty five thousand times. But like you know, and I still try to make it fresh for everybody. But it isn't. <laughs> but there are people that literally have never told that story about their first audition, their first gig, their first job. So it is very exciting. I'm glad that you appreciate that. I do. I do. And so at what point you go to, you go to college and you're doing theater and get Mamma Mia, but where did all of the Nickelodeon stuff come in the TV and the movie side? It, was this, did this come to you or were, was it part of the whole uh, an inability to um, just do one thing and you like the, the need to be a multi hyphenate. Yeah, no, I was, I was content in Mamma Mia until I wasn't. And that was the thing, you know, after three years of doing Mamma Mia, it was, and I was, I was not on stage on stage. I was happy, but it was the backstage politics. It's very difficult to be in a long, to join a long running show and then stay in a long running show. Um, there's a lot of uh, politics involved in that backstage politics. And so mm -hmm. I was just fried. I was done with it. Um, I wasn't being treated the way I wanted to be treated. And unlike other people who, you know, will just take it or fight it from inside, I handed in my notice. So I was like, thank you. I'm done. Um, and so from that point forward, I decided that I wanted to take a break from performing. And that's when my friend approached me to, if it asked me if I wanted to produce Broadway. And I was like, oh, this is perfect. I can still be in the Broadway community without being on stage and I would have another experience of the other side to understand, you know, that, that side a little bit more. And so we had a wonderful three year run where I was producing shows and had a massive hit with Hamlet and um, a massive critical hit with La Beth and a massive flop with Born Yesterday. So mm -hmm. I had my entire uh, experience of being a Broadway producer in three shows and I experienced everything you can experience. And then at that point I was like, you know what, time to try film and TV. My sister was out in LA doing shooting Nickelodeon. Um, and at that point I was like, you know what, I'm going to go to La La Land and I'm going to throw my hat in the ring. Like it's working for my sister. She came, went from Broadway street to Nickelodeon. So maybe I'll do the same thing. 
And that's when I moved out to LA and started, you know, that journey and then process into trying to be a film and TV actor. We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. So that's incredible. And I, I guess I was going to touch on the family aspect because your sister being Ariana Grande, um, did, did the did your parents both encourage you as a family to, to I guess, pursue this? Or uh, like it's rare that two siblings come out both very successful like, like right. this in, in such a risky business. Yeah, my mom loves to say that she was like the third mom to have two children in separate Broadway shows simultaneously. She loves to say that fact um, because it's true. Um, she, so my mom raised us to love the arts, you know, like it was always Madonna and Whitney Houston and Cher and Little Shop of Horrors and Phantom of the Opera uh, playing in our house 24 mm-hmm. seven. So we had a really amazing um, art, artistic nurturing environment, but you know, my, my mother was very encouraging about me doing the arts, but also I did not give her a choice because I was also so academically strong. Like she was never able to look at me and say like, well, you can't do that play because you need to focus on your grades. Like that was never an option for her. You know, when I was in college, you know, she wasn't like, uh, you know, you can't only pursue theater because I, I was simultaneously getting a bachelor of the sciences in biology. So I didn't give her the option of having um, to approve or not approve of my performance career. Um, but once I became successful and was working in the field, I think it did actually, it definitely helped Ariana not have to take the same path that I did, which was split her focus. Ariana was very focused on arts the whole time. And my mom had no objection because she already had one child who was so successful. Because you're the older brother. You paved the way. I always tell tell that to my my younger brother all the time. I'm like, I took all the shit for you. So don't forget that. You owe me. Exactly. (laughs) And Ariana knows that. And Ariana says that. So I don't have to tell her. So, but it's, but it is true. (laughs) It is true. We did, we did a lot of the paving, you know, the, the, the getting that, getting that road set and that cement in place. And it's tough. It's tough too. As a, as a parent myself, right. I'm like, I just, okay. So I gotta, I want my kids to be happy, but I need them to be successful. But wait, if they're more happy than successful, is that okay? like, at some uh-huh. point you just got to give it up. And, uh, I mean, hats off to your mom for for allowing all this to happen or being yeah. okay with it. Whether quietly she was like, you know, oh my God, oh my God, I hope he doesn't, you know, end up homeless and starving. But yes, I love it. And side note, uh, I saw that your mom think, thought that Marla and Constantine were dating, which I oh, thought was, so funny. Which was both of which are I very good, by that. the way. <laughs> I couldn't believe that. When she looked at it, and she's known Constantine for years, which is also was super confusing to me. I was like, but she was like, you know, he, Connie does an amazing job of playing straight on stage. Yeah. He plays every, every role that he's ever been. I think he's been straight I, that I can think of um, off the top of my head. So he's um, really good at handsome it. dude. He's handsome, gorgeous. muscular. Um, yeah. 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 He's perfect. So uh, it was very uh, funny when she was asked me that question, but I was like, well, he's good at his job. And I guess, <laughs> was, 
I guess so is Marla, you know, they're right. both really good at playing straight people on stage. So good job for them. Yeah. Two, two of the queerest people that I know uh, yes. asked if they're dating in a relationship. I think it's just funny. Joan, yeah. Joan you are, you are funny and incredible. Um, the YouTube parodies that you do as well, yes. I think are so funny. I was watching something this morning about a, a Tiger King musical parody. Oh my God. Yeah. That was fun. Is that does that fill the boredom? Is that another creative necessity for you? Like why why have something else to take up your time? Okay, well that was during COVID and I was bored out of my mind. So yes, <laughs> that is that is something that is completely COVID. Um it, like in terms of me creating individual uh YouTube and, and social media content these days while I'm this busy, it's more out of uh necessity. It's more like this is part of my gig. This is part of my job. So you need to go make that TikTok dance and post it, even though you're exhausted. Like, just do it. Um, so it does feel like a job, social media to me at this point in my life. But that in when during COVID, it was a such a wonderful outlet because there was nothing to do. There were no shows. There were no TVs. And and again, like I won't always be this busy. That's that's the thing about you know being an actor is like so you have downtime mm -hmm. um and so when that downtime comes up then yes i have all these unbelievable creative outlets that i'm allowed to just dive into because they just are waiting for me to return which is which is great that that is the best part about social media is that um you know i've amassed this wonderful audience so that if i am ever bored i can always occupy myself there is no reason to be bored in my did, life did you write the the write the song yourself because I, I was i was going to say that like everything you've written in for YouTube could or everything that's out there on your YouTube channel could just be like its own little mini its EP of like Frank, Frankie COVID times. No, Andrew Lippo wrote the um, uh, Tiger King parody, which I was a part of, but I have um, written creatively a bunch of different stuff on my YouTube channel. Um, and then uh, during my uh, social media uh, time of COVID, I definitely wrote the bathroom talent show shows like skit, like basically to um, entertain myself um, uh, and entertain the world. And I would just do old talent show things that I had done throughout my life uh, in my bathroom because it had the best lighting in my house. And so it became a TV series <laughs> on my YouTube channel and on uh, my social media channels. And I, uh, you know, that, and then I, I would just write random things and just do random things. Uh, but yes, that's a, that's a full-time job, I think. So yeah. it only happens when I'm unemployed or rather when I say fun employed. When I'm fun employed, I can go back to that. I am so impressed with the people who who literally like sometimes teenagers now these days who are literally making millions of dollars off it's of crazy. off of YouTube and I mean the companies Google pays these creators again to, to and reinvest in them to then make more videos and it's it's insane it's insane the amount of of ecosystem that exists behind the the facade of like I'm just gonna throw up a camera and, and talk funny for a few minutes. Right. Like there's a lot that goes on and I'm impressed. I can't do it. And that's why it's, it's again, so, so impressive for anybody who can. So props to you for being able to do all of this at the same time, including my final topic. What I want to ask about is the philanthropic work because you've co-founded mm -hmm. nonprofits, arts organization, Broadway in South Africa, and you work uh -huh. on build on. So tell, tell us about both of those. 
Yeah, so I started Broadway in South Africa in 2000 and, oof, my God, nine maybe. Uh, and I uh, just got together with some of my best friends on Broadway and we organized a performing arts troupe that would go into the townships of South Africa and uh, do an arts education, in, uh, arts education empowerment curriculum that we created and, you know, kind of give people tools in order to handle um, the stressors of their daily life through art. And it was just an unbelievable chapter in my life. It was six years. I uh, went to South Africa two times a year. And I saw so much of the world. I learned so much and I gave so much. And I became, you know, obsessed with that feeling. You know, like you have to, you can't keep it unless you give it away. That's something that I've learned. So in order for you, you know, to keep, you have to give it away. So I, 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 ever since that time in South Africa, I've always been involved in some sort of charity. So started with that. And then I moved to build on and built schools in Senegal and Malawi. And then um, from then I moved on to, you know, the various um, LGBTQ charities that I have become associated with most recently with LA LGBT center, which I love so, so, so much. They do such incredible work and, and glad um, I've been working with them a lot since I've been back in the city and it's just, they're just, I need to constantly give back because if I'm not doing that, then I feel n- uh, incomplete. Like hmm. it's part of who I am that I must give back. There's just, it's, it, otherwise I start to go crazy. And then I ask myself like, what am I not doing? Like what part of my life is different? And I'm like, Oh, charity. Like I need to go, go like work with some kids and, and, and give give away all of this um, knowledge or do a speech or do a talk or whatever it is. I just need to always be giving back. Otherwise it just, it, the balance, the scales get tipped in the wrong direction and I can't find peace. That, that almost seems like it's at direct odds with um, the need to be on stage and, and get that attention. Right. But then the more that I was thinking about it in this moment, as you were talking, it seems like they're actually kind of the same thing because part of what a, a lot of people are attracted to about being on stage and being on Broadway, the the biggest uh, ecosystem of theater you can find, is that not personally you're getting applause, you, you the lights mm-hmm. are on you, you're getting the attention, but you're giving these people a gift. Yes, that you are that they don't know they're getting. You're taking them on a journey. And I've said this so many times too, that part of what I missed so much about COVID, about uh, theater being shut down during COVID, was was sitting in a room of hundreds or thousands of strangers and being taken on a journey with, with them. I love receiving the gift and feeling the energy of going from one place to another on an emotional and some might argue spiritual level by yes. watching people sing and perform and and act and dance and tell stories. Yes, and I completely agree. It's 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 one and the same thing, you know, like it's 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 all the, it's I study Kabbalah, so it's all basically just you draw upon the light of the creator in order to give to another. That's like the entire meaning of life, period, end of story. Like you draw on the light in order to give it to somebody else. So the manner in which you do that can change, you know, whether it's a love relationship or a familial relationship or your job or charity work, it is just, it's all the same thing. And um, for me, I've just noticed that like, you know, the, the more I do it and the more different ways that I can do it, the more whole that I feel as a person. 
and the more I give of my energy and my light. Um, but again, trying to maintain that my vessel, my cup is filled with light the whole time so that I'm not just pouring light out into someone while I'm empty myself. That is the challenge. That is the challenge that you have to figure out for yourself every day. Hmm. Well, how do you do that then on a, on a day-to-day basis? Um, you, oh, I, sometimes I have grouchy, low energy days. <laughs> um, that's definitely part of what happens, um, when I'm not taking care of myself and then I'll notice and I'll be like, Oh, you're not taking care of yourself. And then there'll be a bath or there'll be a meditation session, or there'll be a meeting that I go to, um, or a phone call that I make that allows me to reconnect with my higher power and then go on with my day and my life and my week. But, um, it's, I wish I could tell you that I catch it before I become grouchy or, or, you know, irritable, but that's not always the case. Sometimes I'll, I'll notice the symptoms of me being um, devoid of light and devoid of connection and then have to fix it. But, mm. you know, I catch it much, much earlier than I used to. I'll say that. Wow. All right. Well, let's wrap with three standard closing questions that I ask everybody. Ooh. The first one, just very simply, is what motivates you? Hmm. Love. Hmm. Period. What advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path? Don't worry about it, period, whatever that is. Don't worry about it because you're, you don't have control. Like, Don't stress over every single choice and decision that you could potentially make. Just, just go with your gut and understand it's going to carry you to some dark places, but that you're going to get through it. And mm. it's that journey of getting through it that's going to make you stronger. So don't even worry about it. I love just it. go. All right. Last question. Hard one. If you can only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you oh, see? That is so hard. Uh, that is a great question. Uh, it would be Titanic at the Asylum Theater <laughs> playing for all eternity uh, and <laughs> available at titanicmusical.com. <laughs> you, you, <laughs> stole my, you stole my closing. Yes. Uh, now through September 25th, titanicmusical.com. Where else can we find you online? Um, at Frankie J. Grande and all social platforms. Amazing. Frankie, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this conversation. And, yeah, um, you're awesome. Next time I come see the show, I'm, I'm definitely going to come give you a big hug. Oh, thank you so much. And yeah, please do come again. It will be um, it'll just continue to get more and more ridiculous every time you see it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you. Talk to you, my friend. Bye-bye. As always, you can get more of me at thetheaterpodcast.com. Show your support for just as little as like a dollar or two a month. It helps keep the podcast going, keeps the proverbial lights on. Find me on Instagram and Twitter at theater underscore podcast on TikTok at the theater podcast. Leave a rating, leave a review. Don't forget to do that. Every little bit helps. This has been edited by Well-Rounded Hoodlum Productions. And of course, the music is always by Jukebox the Ghost. Frankie Grande, thank you so much. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R E R I S E T H E A T R E dot org because only together we rise. <laughs> 